listen to this for a minute. That's what we're doing. To open up the podcast. This is Nick Bossy's. One of Nick Bossy's new singles. Cocaine Sunrise. Cocaine Sunrise. The devil's vice that I use all along. Well, it spreads its wings and it flies me on through the nighttime. When the sun comes up, I'll find. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. It's a little cocaine sunrise by my good friend, Nicholas Bossy, who has a new EP titled Portraits coming out very soon. And uh, I, I haven't been giving Nick as many shout outs as I should be on this podcast because I'm so used to having his music open up. But I will link his Spotify below in the show notes. Go check out my buddy, Nick Bossy. He's a star and uh, you're going to want to say that you were an OG listener before he blows up, which will in- inevitably happen very soon. So um, shout out Nick for letting me use his music for over two years now for being uh, one of the only reoccurring guests on the show and for being a very good pal. Um, and with that being said, welcome to episode 116 of Who Gives a Dram? I'm happy to be here today. It is another late day. It's currently 8.51 p.m. here on the East Coast, which means for my buddies out in Colorado, it is 6.51 p.m. And for y'all on the West Coast, like my my pal Amy, a.k.a. the Liquid Pharmacist, it is 5.51 p.m., which means you're just barely getting out of work, um, which is kind of weird to think about. But... Uh, we have a, uh, I say this every week, but we have a great episode today. I have an episode that I'm excited to get to. Um, we have a little bit of whiskey to drink, as usual, and we have a little bit of UFC news, or not news, but we have some big fights coming up this weekend, you know, and uh, and um, I want to break them down, and uh, we'll see we'll see what else comes up on this episode, but... Um, I do want to say that I put out a little Instagram, kind of like a, kind of like a little Instagram video and TikTok, highlighting my five five of my favorite budget bourbons, and I realized that I had not reviewed one of them, which is totally my fault. I I should have, but today on the podcast, and we got a big old bottle today, a big old. Big old hog molly on here. We're going to be doing High West Bourbon, formerly known as American Prairie Bourbon. Here it is for those watching the video. It is a, this is a, this is a, uh, this is a mag. This is a 1.75 liter. I bought this specific bottle for my brother for our Christmas Eve gifts to one another. Every Christmas Eve, my brother and I gift each other a bottle of whiskey, which we then consume that night. Uh, As you can see, my brother has been enjoying this. And uh, I'm happy because this is one of my favorite budget bourbons, and I just happen to have not have uh, reviewed it on the podcast yet. So we're going to review this. Uh, We're going to preview UFC 287 this weekend, which is probably my most anticipated card so far. 
outside of McGregor versus Chandler and then a potential Jones versus Stipe later this year, this might be my my most anticipated card of the year. It's a banger of a card from top to bottom. Uh, we'll go through each fight quickly, including the main event of uh, Israel Adesanya um, rematching Alex Pereira for the undisputed UFC middleweight championship of the world. Um, but you know what? It's late. It's Wednesday night. Tomorrow's Thursday. Tomorrow's actually my Friday because this Friday is Good Friday. And we have that off. So we are going to pour a little whiskey right now. Terrible cork pop because my brother's been killing this bottle. And I can pour a little bit. I can pour a little bit more than I usually do because I'm just going to lay in bed after this anyway. So um, let's get right into the whiskey review, shall we? Let's just start off the episode hot with some good whiskey. Um, it's important to have a good list of budget bottles. You know, it's it's important to have whiskeys that you can go to time in and time out that you know are going to be reliable and that you know are going to be appropriately priced. And that's what I have found with this uh, High West bourbon. It's no surprise that I'm a huge High West fan. I have been drinking High West since I started drinking whiskey. My first review on this podcast was a Midwinter Night's Dram all the way back in 2021. And since then... I don't think I've reviewed any other High West products besides um, the 2022 uh, Midwinter Night's Dram release. I don't think I've I don't think I've reviewed any other bottles on this podcast. So that being said, actually no, Midwinter Night's Dram was 2020. I think. Let's check. Yeah, we've done Midwinter Night's Dram. Um, in late 2020, and I'm pretty sure this is the only one we've done. We Oh, we did Campfire. That was all the way back June 2021. We did Campfire, which I still have the bottle behind me, by the way. Um, I think that's it. Besides the second, uh... Midwinter Night's Dram, Act 9, Scene 5, in November 2021. And then we're going into 2022 here. No High West, no High West, no High West. No High West. I'm basically just making sure I haven't reviewed this yet. <laughs> I don't think I have. Yeah. Midwinter Night Dram Act Ten, yeah. So, I've only done Midwinter Night Dram, uh, Midwinter Night Dram, and um, High West Campfire. So this is the first of the main line of High West I'm going to be reviewing, uh, just to give you all a breakdown about what exactly um, High West Bourbon is. Well, first of all, High West Distillery is one of my favorite distilleries on the planet. It's out in um, Park City, Utah which is the last place you would think a distillery would be, but that's where it is. Um, High West Bourbon is 46% alcohol by volume. Uh, again, this is a 1.75 liter. Um, this is a big bottle, but High West always has my favorite bottles. 
their bottle design is great. I love the glass. I love how they they etch their design right into the glass as well. I've always liked that about High West. That's one of the first things that drew me to a Midwinter Night's Dram was the bottle itself. Um, a blend of straight bourbon whiskeys aged a minimum of two years in charred white American oak barrels. Never chill filtered or carbon treated and utilizing a variety of high rye content mash bills to convey an earthy complexity. The perfect marriage of richness and brightness. And then it gives its notes. Um, so it's a blend of, of straight bourbons with a high rye uh, mash bill. I believe the mash bill is a blend of 75% corn, 21% rye, 4% malted barley from MGP. And then it's 84% corn, 8% rye, 8% malted barley from another um, undisclosed source. That's coming from breakingbourbon.com. So why does it say high rye? I don't know why it says high rye on the website, but regardless, this is a bourbon and it's a bourbon that retails from anywheres. I've seen it as low as 30 and I've seen it as high as like 36, 37. So let's say $35 is what it retails for. Um, from the best, this is just one of, one of my favorite go-to daily sippers. I, I thoroughly enjoy high west bourbon and i'm excited to drink it right now because i probably would have poured it um i probably would have poured it anyways i mean sipping it out of the who gives a dram glass um other things to know about high west american prairie it is a part of their core lineup again it's sourced um, I want to say some of it is maybe now distilled in, in-house at High West, but I'm not positive. And um, it used to be called American Prairie. Now it's just called High West Bourbon. Um, the reason it was called American Prairie uh, was I think they donated... No, I know they donated to the some type of... Pra- American Prairie Charity before uh, the name change. I'm sure they still do, but that was the reason it was called American Prairie, or at least part of the reason. Um, but let's dive right into this, uh, right into this, shall we? Let's go right into the nose here, and uh, we don't give a col- uh, we don't care about color because why does it matter? Mm, lots of corn on the nose. Mmm, lots of honey. Um, mm. A little bit of grape as well. Like a, like brighter fruit. A little bit of bright fruit on there. Interesting. I'm getting a bit more grape than I usually do on the nose here. It's very high corn. And you can smell the corn on here throughout throughout it. But it's surprising me with a little bit of like grape. Uh, there's that, there's that 
caramel and honey note that's very prominent on this but the grape and like some type of like maybe pear or something it's it's i get a lot of grape on this a little bit of apple as well some some brighter fruits definitely some brighter fruits on this which i'm actually kind of surprised um i'm surprised i'm getting i wasn't expecting to get that fruitiness on this Let's sip it. Let's drink some whiskey. Episode 116. Cheers. And uh, let's today let's drink to a short week. We're going to drink to a short week. No work on Friday, and I will drink to that. A bit spicier on the palate, as I always get. It's part of the reason I like it. A lot of the higher rye content bourbons are growing on me, more specifically Four Roses. I, I'm really gravitating towards like the small batch select, the single barrels, even the small batch, which I which I also put in my video highlighting five budget bourbons on Instagram. I think I like that little spicy kick. I, I think I'm 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 gravitating towards that now as it become a more as I become older, I'm halfway to 27, over halfway to 27 years old. Mm. But this is spicier on the palate. Not overbearingly spicy, but I, I do get a bit more baking spice than what I would expect to get with the mash bills the way they are. Yeah. Just classic. Very sweet. Lots of honey. Lots of corn. Lots of, lots of, well, a little bit of spice to round it out. Very, very just well-rounded, I would say. It's almost like this is like honey cornbread. Like, so a few, probably about two months ago, I went to dinner with my I went to dinner with my mom and my dad and we went to a place right down the road and one of the appetizers was cornbread with honey drizzled over it and it came out in a skillet and this whiskey reminds me of that cornbread so this whiskey reminds me of fresh cornbread baked in a skillet with honey drizzled over it that's what this tastes like to me. Um, and I really, really, really enjoy it. All right. I do think that it is a bit light and proof. I would like to see this. I would. This would be really intriguing to me around 105 or 110 proof. I feel like there is a... I almost feel like that spice is toned down just a bit too much. I feel like maybe with a bit more proof on this, it would it would help itself in terms of the flavors that are being that that are being exposed. And I could be wrong, but if they came out with an American Prairie bourbon that was not any type of single barrel, just just their their standard American Prairie blend with um 
at a higher proof or even at a barrel proof or, or a full proof, then I would be very intrigued in that. I do feel like the spice is a bit muted, and I and I believe that is because of the dilution of of the proof with with the cutting of water uh, to bring this down to the proof point that it's currently at. Uh, that's really the only complaint I, I have about this, and it's not even a huge complaint because the taste is still phenomenal. I just I I, f- I sip this and I and I always feel like I want a little bit more. It's like the this is the appetizer of of whiskeys. Like this, that's actually a perfect example that that I'm glad I brought up that honey cornbread because as my brain is working, as I'm riffing here, this is just like an appetizer. It leaves you wanting a little bit more on the palate. But it's still really good. Like you don't drink this to complete satisfaction. You don't you don't drink this to to completion, if that makes sense. That sounded really wrong, but <laughs> you don't drink this. I for me, I don't get. I I don't know how to put it. I don't get. It's almost I don't get. It's almost like this this whiskey gives me blue balls in a way. Like, I just don't, I'm not coming. I might be edging, but I'm not coming. All right, and with that note, let's start talking about this. <laughs> oh, all right. That was, that whiskey review, I was struggling to find my words, and then I started thinking about cum. And now I can't stop thinking about cum. Uh, anyways. We'll come back at the end of the episode. I'm going to continue to sip this as we as we go through some different um, talking points here, and we will uh, we will come back to it. But uh, the main thing I would like to talk about this week, and the main thing I'd like to utilize my time with, uh, aside from the whiskey, are the incredible UFC fights this weekend. And I hope you guys, if you listen to this podcast, I hope you at least look at these fights when I mention them. Because I'm sure most of you don't watch the UFC, but for the few that do, um, and listen, we have hundreds and hundreds of listeners every single week, and I would expect a few of you to at least watch UFC. I would hope that um, y'all at least check out these cards. And if you're listen, if you're gonna watch, if you're gonna watch one fight card this this year, I mean, you you're. You, the John Jones card you were gonna want to watch. If I was not in Colorado for Edwards Usman three, I would have bought that card too. I've been talking that card up for a very long time, but I wasn't home. This card is maybe the best card the UFC has put on in a very, very, very long time. Top to bottom, this is a great card. The early prelims, early prelims are headlined by Cynthia Calvello, Calveo, and she is a ranked strawweight, and she is a beast. Well, at least she was a beast. She's kind of on a losing streak right now, but she is a beast. And the chick she's fighting her is na- her name is Loopy, so you know that card's gonna rip, or you know that fight's gonna rip. And then the early or the the main prelims are opened by Chase Sherman, aka the Vanilla Gorilla. So like, the fact that I know the nickname of the fighter that's opening the prelims tells you how stacked this card is. But I don't want to talk about the prelims. I don't want to talk about all that stuff. I do want to 
quickly mention that Chris Curtis versus Kelvin Gastelum is headlighting the prelims. It's funny that Kelvin Gastelum and Israel Adesanya went to war in 2006, 17, 18, right around that time, 19, I don't know, but they went to war, and now Kelvin Gastelum is on Izzy's prelims, but uh, gotta respect, gotta respect Kelvin, man, he's a beast, he's a warrior, you have uh, the karate hottie, Michelle Waterson, um, as the co-main event on the prelims, and listen, those having those two fighters on your prelims is always telling of how strong this card is. But let's go into the main card. Uh, the first fight that is opening up the the pay-per-view portion of this card is Raul Rosa, Rosas Jr. versus Christian Rodriguez. The reason Raul Rosas Jr., I hope I'm pronouncing that right, the reason this is a huge fight is because Raul is the youngest male in UFC history to win a to win a fight. I think he's the youngest fighter ever to win a fight in the UFC. He's freshly 18. I mean, he's freshly 18 and he is an ugly motherfucker as well. He is not an attractive person, but he's a beast. He's minus 225 and he's looking for a second UFC win versus Christian Rodriguez and I'm sure this is just another tune-up fight for Raul. Rosas Jr. I'm sure that this is a mismatch, and I'm sure that Raul Rosas Jr. will perform and uh, finish uh, Christian Rodriguez within the first round or two to uh, so the UFC can highlight this young guy and build him up because he does come from, I believe he comes from Dana White's Contender Series, and uh, I'm sure they want to try to build this guy into a star similar to how they build Sean O'Malley into a star from Dana White's Contender Series. That fight opens up the card. Open opens up the card. I'm taking Raul Rosas Jr. by uh, finish, probably submission round one. That's what I'm going to say. Second fight is an absolute banger: Kevin Holland versus Santiago Ponzinibbio. Ponzinibbio used to he was like one of the best welterweights in the world back in like 2015, 2016. Then he kept on getting hurt. And he doesn't really fight often anymore. And now he's not ranked, but he's still a beast. Uh, and he's fighting Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland recently lost to Kamzat Jamayev and is a stud in him in in his own right. I mean, he's he's really good. Uh, he lost to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson last December, uh, and that's was a funny fight because he. He went to one of the best strikers in UFC history and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and said, hey, listen, man, I'm not going to try to take you down. Let's just fight on the feet. Like, you don't do that. Not a good strategy. Um, so Kevin Holland is on a two-fight losing streak, but he fought Kamzat Chmayev, and then he turned right around and fought Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. So, I mean, you can't really blame the guy. He's uh, He's fighting very good competition. Uh, but Ponzinibbio is a very tough test. Ponzinibbio is a super tough test. He's 16 and, uh, no, he's 30 and 6. His last fight, yeah, he hasn't really, he hasn't fought much. He fought in 2021, he lost to Jeff Neal. 
and he was out for. Yeah, he beat Neil Magny 2018. Then he came back in 2021. He lost to Li Jingling. Then he beat Baeza. Lost to Jeff Neal. Lost to Pereira Lima. And then beat some guy named Murano in December of last year. So Ponzinibbio is, regard. I mean, he, he's a beast. He's a beast. So, um... That being said, I'm taking Kevin Holland in this fight. <laughs> I think Kevin Holland has been a bit more active. He's fought way better competition recently, and I think that Kevin Holland gets it done uh, by by TKO in round three. Third fight of the card, another banger: Rob Font versus Adrian Yanez. And Adrian Yanez is a sneaky, sneaky. Um, I guess he's technically favored. He's minus 180 on the odds. But sneaky, really good fighter. He's ranked number 12. Rob Font ranked number 6. But Adrian Yanez is 16-3. and He's a stud. And he's... I'm picking Adrian Yanez in this fight. I think he gets it done. I think he probably gets it done by... By decision, unanimous, if I had to guess. Rob Font's a tough test, but um, I think this this young cat, Adrian Yanez, is is going to get it done. And then we go into the fir- the the two the two uh, main fights on this card, the two fights that people are going to be buying the pay per view for. This fight is in Miami, and you can't have a fight a pay per view fight in Miami without Jorge Gamebred Masvidal. The co-main event of this card is number five, the number five welterweight in the world, Gilbert Burns, against Jorge Gamebred Masvidal, who's currently ranked number eleven. Gilbert Burns is a minus four ninety favorite. If you're a betting man, this is where you want to put your money. Obviously, uh, Jorge Masvidal at plus three ninety is. There are definitely ways Jorge Masvidal wins this fight. It's going to be tough, which is reflected in the odds, but there is definitely ways that Jorge Masvidal wins this fight. So don't be scared about the odds. If you're willing to put some money uh, on on a fight, put, the, put your money on this fight and put it on Masvidal. Now that being said... I am definitely picking Gilbert Burns in this fight. I'm not betting my money. If you want to bet your money, go right ahead. I'm not I'm not telling you what to do or what not to do. I'm just saying if I had an extra 100 bucks lying around, I would put it on Masvidal uh, to turn that to turn that into some serious cash. But listen, Gilbert Burns um is coming off a win versus Neil Magny earlier this year. Uh, by submission, he fought uh, Kamzat Chemaev. He got beat by unanimous decision, but it was a fantastic fight. He was the first person ever put uh, Kamzat in trouble. He's the first person ever hit Kamzat. Never mind, put get him in trouble. But I mean, this guy he dominated Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. He he lost to Usman, but it was you know that's when Usman was him. 
I mean, Gilbert Burns has beaten Damian Maya. He beat Tyron Woodley. He's beaten Gunnar Nelson. He's beaten a who's who in the welterweight division, and he's deservingly uh, number five ranked in the division. Jorge Masvidal is a tremendous star. He is very good on his feet, and he um, I think he does get a little bit overlooked because he is a talker. People th- automatically assume that people who are talking to sell fights aren't good because they're trying to sell the fight. When in reality, Jorge Masvidal does possess some really, really unique tools. Uh, he does have a great understanding of distance and timing when it comes to MMA striking. Uh, he knows how to use his kicks to set up his combinations. And he's very good at slipping punches, getting just out of the way, and returning um, returning with a counter punch. Masvidal's a very good striker. And he's tough, man. He is as tough as they come. I mean, this. I mean, when was the last time this guy was finished? I I don't I don't even know. Oh well, okay, all right. I'm sorry. Usman knocked him out cold, but other than that, that was again when Usman was him, and that's when Usman was the goat. But Jorge Masvidal's last three fights are a. A unanimous decision lost to Kamaru Usman back in July 2020. That fight was taken on six days' notice. And then they rematched uh, in April 2021, so almost a year later. And Usman knocked out Masvidal cold. Knocked him out cold. Bad knockout. And then uh, Masvidal, you know, very smart of him, took a, a year off. And came back to fight Colby Covington, in which he lost by unanimous decision. And he got worked that fight. He did get dominated. But it was such a boring fight because Colby Covington is the most boring fighter on the planet. He's just really good at wrestling. And it's tough for Masvidal, a guy who's not a wrestler, to, to keep up with the pace that Covington can, can uh, put on you. But, I mean, that's th- those are... Masvidal's last three fights, three losses, but two against the champ and one against the number one contender. Before that, he beat Nate Diaz. He beat uh, Ben Askren with flying knee. I mean, everybody remembers that. He beat Darren Till when Darren Till was this up-and-coming stud. He knocked him out in London. Um, Jorge Masvidal is definitely somebody that has had his his ups and downs, but he is a talented fighter. I do think he definitely has a chance in this fight, but uh, his chance is not is not big. I'm I'm taking Gilbert Burns. I'll take this is a three a three round fight. I'll take Gilbert Burns by decision. Um, I think Masvidal is competent enough on enough on his back to really defend himself because you know Gilbert Burns is going to take him down. That's just going to happen and. Uh, it's all about how fast Masvidal can get back up. Uh, if Masvidal can get back up with two and a half minutes left in the round and do some work, that might change things. But the chances of that happening, I think, are less than the chances of Burns kind of just taking down Masvidal uh, and kind of keeping him there, similar to what Kobe Covington did. But the difference is Gilbert Burns will try to finish Jorge Masvidal. But Masvidal is not bad off his back. And um, he's dangerous on his back. So 
my official prediction, Gilbert Burns, unanimous decision. And then we get to the main event, and probably my favorite fight so far this year, um, the rematch between Alex Pajera versus Israel Adesanya for the undisputed UFC middleweight championship. Now, I've been thinking about this fight a lot. And trying to decide, do I want to side with my heart or my gut? And it took me a while to figure out exactly what I wanted to do. But I figured out that now my my heart and my, and my gut align with who they think is going to win. The first fight, you know, uh, early, late last year, was a four-round dominant performance from Israel Adesanya. Izzy was winning 4-0, maybe 3-1, if you're being generous, for Pereira. Pereira? Pereira? Um, I think it's pronounced Pereira, but I'm going to say Pereira because I'm an American and I'm ignorant. But Pereira caught Izzy in round five, and the ref stopped the fight. I think that's an appropriate way to put it. The ref stopped the fight. And I've watched the fight a few times since, and I don't usually say this. I don't usually say that a fight was stopped early because you have to think of the ref in the situation, looking out for the long, looking out long term for the for the fighters that he is assigned to, to um, you know, to ref. But I do think it was an early stoppage. Now I'm not saying Pereira in five more seconds wouldn't have landed another punch and put Izzy out cold, but I do think Izzy still had his wits about him. I think he was getting really hurt, but I think he was fine in that particular instance. But a loss is a loss, man. Izzy lost the title, and now he's challenging again. And um, I think this fight goes a lot like the first fight. I think Izzy uses his distance, uses his kicks, maybe puts a little bit of a higher pace on uh, Pereira this time around, doesn't let Pereira kind of gather himself because if you remember at the end of round one in their last fight if that round was 10 seconds longer Izzy would have had a first round finish and and another title defense under his belt against Alex Pereira Alex Pereira was very hurt before before that round ended he was quite literally saved by the belt and people forget that when they look into this fight. Now, Izzy is a minus one thirty-five favorite, which I am pretty surprised about. But I think Izzy's resume speaks for himself. He's been put in the trenches. He's gone through hell. His Kelvin Gastelum fight was an absolute grind, and he got pieced up, but he kept on going. And that showed me that Izzy isn't just some flashy fighter that can't take a punch. I mean, this guy is tough as they come. Pereira, on the other hand, is basically a heavyweight that cuts down to uh, middleweight, and he's humongous. He makes Izzy look small, and Izzy's not a small guy. Alex Pereira has incredibly quick hands. Always keeps a high guard, which I think is something that you don't see a whole lot of nowadays, but 
he he really knows I mean he's a, he's one of the best kickboxers of all time. So he really knows how to roll with punches, uh how to counter punches. But the problem is Izzy I think is a little bit better technically than Pereira. Pereira I think holds more power. Izzy is technically better. Izzy is a little bit quicker. Izzy is better with uh the diversity of his kicks. And I think Izzy still has that confidence knowing he's fought so many times as a champion. I believe this is his 10th championship fight in some capacity. Um, and he's he's a bona fide top pound-for-pound fighter in the world. And I think he will show it this time around. I think Izzy... I, I think my, my official prediction is Israel Adesanya will win by unanimous decision. I think we get a typical Izzy fight. People might look at it the next day and say it was a bit boring, but I think Izzy's going to play the smart game here cuz he can't lose to that. he can't lose to Pereira again. There's if he loses to Pereira again, then he's not going to become he's not even going to sniff the championship until Pereira loses it. And who knows when that'll happen? And what's Izzy going to do? He's squashed everybody else on the roster in, in middleweight. We we saw what happened when he tried to go up to light heavyweight. He got he got beat. So I think Izzy has to win this fight. I think he knows he has to win this fight, and I think he does. I think he I think he gets it done. I think Izzy will pull out a victory, unanimous decision, and I think we see a a I think we see the technical best Israel Adesanya we've ever seen. I don't think he's gonna miss. I don't think he's going to slip up. I don't think he's going to get caught. I truly think that he's going to be able to to show people why he is regarded as one of the best strikers in UFC history. And that is my official prediction for UFC 287 this Saturday at the Kaseya Center in Miami, Florida. 10 p.m. start time. I'll be at my cousin's house watching it. Smoking a cigar before it, drinking whiskey during it, and I'm very excited, man. I'm I'm super excited. This is gonna be a a banger of a fight card. I'm very excited, and you know the UFC has put on three incredible fight cards in a row. And you got to shout out Uncle Dana. Got to shout out Uncle Dana. So that's what we're looking at for. UFC 287, still drinking my bourbon, hope you guys are having a good day wherever you're listening to this, whether it's in your cubicle, or in your car, or maybe you're at the gym, maybe you're just drinking whiskey, maybe you're just sitting alone in a dark room listening to my voice, or maybe you're watching me on YouTube, regardless, I hope you're having a good time doing it. And I'm happy that you're here. WrestleMania 39 took place this past weekend. Two nights of WrestleMania. And lots of controversy behind it. Now, I can't sit here and say that I'm a diehard wrestling fan. I've been involved in wrestling since I was a kid, and we talked about the stages that you go through as a wrestling fan. 
I actually posted that clip on TikTok and on Instagram of I'm in the stage now of why I want them to put him through the table. That's my stage. And that's probably going to stay that way for a while. I'm always going to be privy to what's happening in the wrestling world, I believe. Especially with this new uh, merger between Endeavor, the UFC, and WWE, which I think is a phenomenal strategic move by Endeavor to combine the largest entity in combat sports and the largest entity in sports entertainment and let them use their TV rights together, let them use their media together, let them make their content together. And to have Dana White being able to throw ideas off Vince McMahon and vice versa and Ari Emanuel being involved, and I'm sure the Fatita brothers are going to be involved somehow because they're the Fatita brothers. I think that's just a recipe for for success. And no matter what you think about Vince McMahon, no matter what you think about Dana White, they're both masters at marketing. They're both masters at building businesses, at building brands. And they are both have proven track record records of success in their spaces. And they're the best to ever do it in their spaces. Nobody's better than Dana White in MMA promotion. Nobody's better than Vince McMahon. No one even comes close to Vince McMahon in, the, in, in terms of, of sports entertainment. So all that backed with the proven track record of Endeavor and their business ventures, I think that this is just going to be great for everybody involved. And I think we'll start to see the the ripple effects of this here in the coming months, probably like l- mid to late this year. There will be something that happens where maybe Dana and Vince do an interview together or a WWE superstar shows up at a UFC event or a UFC fighter like Conor McGregor shows up at a WWE event. The crossover makes sense. It it does. Look at Brock Lesnar. I was actually laughing at my uh, I was laughing on Sunday night. I was watching uh WrestleMania night 2 with my brother Kale and I was laughing because the first two fights, the first fight was Brock Lesnar versus Omos or Umos in which Brock Lesnar won. And the second fight was a mixed tag match with all the women, and Ronda Rousey won. So you're looking at two ex-UFC champions turned wrestlers that both won back-to-back on WrestleMania, the grandest stage of them all. So it just makes sense. It's, it's, a, very, it's a very smart move, and I, I think it's going to work well for all parties involved. I do think that... WrestleMania Night 1 was way better than WrestleMania Night 2. I felt more involved Night 1. Um, hearing the pop for Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens when they won the tags, the tag championship, and that match versus the Usos was, shit, some of the best, I mean, just awesome. A great fight, or a great match. And it's it's really, really fun to watch professional wrestlers that technically are very good but also have that showmanship like the Usos who sell everything perfectly or Kevin Owens who is this big you know heavier set guy you wouldn't think can do a swanton bomb off the top rope like Jeff Hardy like this is it's just a it's fun to watch that stuff and Sami Zayn looks like a homeless guy and he's doing Haluva kicks all around the ring. 
Um, I don't really want to go match by match because I'm not very, I'm not very, I'm not that into wrestling. I like it. I love the under. My favorite wrestler of all time is the Undertaker, and I think if you're making a wrestling Mount Rushmore, which this is this is this is going to be a hot take, no matter what I say, because there are so many different routes you could go when you're thinking of a wrestling, a a WWE or WWF slash WWE Mount Rushmore. There are probably 10 names that are interchangeable at any given time. But if you're looking at four people that you think of when you think of wrestling, I think it's fairly obvious. I think you have to put Hulk Hogan. I think you have to put Stone Cold Steve Austin. I think those are the two that you absolutely have to put. There's no... There's no wrestling Mount Rushmore without those two on it. The biggest star of the golden era in WWE and the biggest star of the Attitude Era in WWE, the two most successful periods in wrestling in WWE history, your two biggest stars during it, you have to put those two. And then the last two is where it gets a little iffy. The last two is where it gets a little iffy because you could go technically, you could go technical-wise, in which case Shawn Michaels will be on that list. Bret Hart will be on that list. Other people will be on that list. You could go championships, in which case John Cena would be on that list. I think that, in my case, the greatest pure WWE superstar of all time is The Undertaker. When it comes to in-ring, when it comes to the gimmick, when it comes to the promos, when it comes to the aura around an individual, The Undertaker is the, is the best. There's no doubting it. That fourth spot is really hard for me. I always toss it up between two people. It's either going to be The Rock or it's going to be Ric Flair. I would say six times out of ten I give it to Ric Flair because he really changed promos. And he was technically a good wrestler and he holds the most championships in WWE history. He was the most heavyweight championships. So I think if I were to stamp a WWE Mount Rushmore, I think that you're putting Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Ric Flair, and The Undertaker. And with honorable mentions being The Rock, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, and John Cena. I think those are four people that could absolutely be on the Mount Rushmore. They're just not on mine. Let me know what you think. What do you, what's your what's your WWE Mount Rushmore? Let me know what you think. I'm I'm curious to know cuz it's a very hot topic. But anyways, I'm not going to go through every single WrestleMania match, but I do want to talk about the main event. Cuz I well, first of all, well, I guess you don't have to look up. You just kind of got to point your finger up. You have to acknowledge him. You have to acknowledge Roman Reigns. He's coming up on a 1,000 days as the heavyweight champion. And I said before the match, this is on record, you can ask Kale, you can ask Ryan. Those are the only two you can ask. 
because those are the only two I talked to about it. Um, I said before, before WrestleMania that there's no chance Cody Rhodes would beat Roman Reigns because it makes too much sense. Cody Rhodes comes back after like a year off. Number 30 at the Royal Rumble. Wins the Royal Rumble. Does not fight until WrestleMania. And he's going to be the one to dethrone one of the most dominant heavyweight champions in WWE history. With one of the best storylines going right now in, you know, with the bloodline. Not going to happen, bro. Maybe next year. Maybe they build it now because they are going to have Cody Rhodes feud with Brock Lesnar. And that feud will culminate at SummerSlam and and where Cody Rhodes will beat Brock Lesnar and that will start the build of Cody Rhodes versus Roman Reigns next year WrestleMania and people have been saying online that the WWE really missed an opportunity because Cody Rhodes will never be as hot as he is right now he'll never be as liked he'll never be as popular he'll never be as over as they say in the wrestling business And that doesn't make sense to me because I think to myself when I hear someone say that, dude, you are the fan. Just keep liking him until next year. What are you talking about? How over Cody Rhodes is is 100% dependent on you, the fan. If you want Cody Rhodes to be over, then keep cheering for him. What do you mean he won't be over this time next year? He won't be as hot as he was. Just be into him. Be into him, give him huge pops, and it will carry over into next year. It was way too quick. And this is coming from somebody that doesn't even follow WWE on a weekly basis. I just read up on what was happening like two days before WrestleMania. And now I'm super into it. Now I'm reading up every single day as the theories. And I think I'm going to be a a WWE guy again now, especially Roman Reigns. But listen, I'm off. I love dominant champions i loved the golden state warriors when kevin durant went over i loved the pa well i didn't love the patriots but i love i i enjoyed their dynasty run um i'm a i'm a i'm a new england guy so the celtics you know going back to like the 60s and 70s that dynasty um joey chestnut i mean by far the best ever and Roman Reigns. I like when people are dominant. I like witnessing history. I like witnessing greatness right before our eyes. And that's what we're doing with Roman Reigns. And um, I knew that it was just too quick for Cody Rhodes to get that victory. Yes, he was incredibly over that night. Yes, the crowd was going wild. Yes, it was theoretically the perfect time to put the belt on Cody Rhodes. But guess what? You, what you have now is people talking about how bad that decision was and tweeting about it, and that gets all these retweets, and then people see it who aren't wrestling fans to go, oh, what's that about? What happened at WrestleMania? And then they get into it, and there's no such thing as bad publicity. I'm pretty sure Vince McMahon knows that. So hate it or love it, you're still talking about it, and that's what the WWE wants. Now, I will say, Monday Night Raw this week, the the Raw after WrestleMania, sucked. I will say that, and apparently Vince McMahon had his little fingers all over it. 
making changes last minute, even though he said he wasn't going to get into the weeds with create creative decisions. And that was assumingly going to be left up to Triple H, Paul Levesque, um, which is his real name, Paul Levesque. Um, who, and he is really married to Stephanie McMahon in real life, by the way. I'm not sure if y'all knew that. But he really is married to Stephanie McMahon. Oh, by the way, shout out to Shane McMahon, dude. Oh, so Shane McMahon came out to fight The Miz, and he went to jump over The Miz, and he landed like 30 seconds into like an impromptu match, and he just tore the fuck out of his quad. And I feel bad for the guy, dude. He he returned, and he, he <laughs> blew out his leg, but then Snoop Dogg came in, improvised, a few punches on the Miz and gave the Miz a people's elbow and it was bad, but it was great and it was all improvised. You could tell that they didn't know what was going on and I respect the hell out of it. So um, shout out to Shane McMahon and shout, shout out to Snoop D-O-double-G. Snoop D-O-double-G looking for a couple bitches with some double Ds. Sorry. All right. Didn't watch a movie this week because I didn't have time. Um, I want to watch Air, the Michael Jordan Nike story directed by Ben Affleck. Mario comes out this week. I want to watch Mario, and I still am going to watch John Wick 4 again. I'm going to go up to an IMAX theater up in Providence and watch that. Um, But yeah, no, no movies really this week, I don't think. Uh, I'm going to watch The Mandalorian tonight. When I get off this podcast and upload it, a uh, new episode tonight. Last week's episode was pretty good. I mean, wasn't anything special, but um, Mando. This is definitely the weakest epi- uh, season of Mando yet, for sure. For sure, the weakest ep- season of Mando. I did read today that supposedly there's pre-production talks of. HBO creating a Game of Thrones prequel series that's centered on Aegon the Conqueror, Aegon the First, uh, the First Targaryen, and fan edits and fan theories and other theories online say that Henry Cavill might be a, a casting for that, in which case, I mean, sign me up. I mean, you guys know me. Henry Cavill is him. He is a handsome, hunky human. Uh, he, he's the real Triple H. He's a handsome, hunky human. Sorry. So that would be cool. I would I would watch that. I would 100% watch that. What, what am I saying? I would definitely watch that. Um, I watched Batman Begins last night, kind of in the background, and I, I'm not going to review it because I've, I wasn't watching it to review it. I was just watching it as a background thing. Let me tell you, man, might Sneaky be the best of the three of the Dark Knight trilogy? I mean, it's hard to beat the Dark Knight, but Batman Begins might Sneaky be the best one. In terms of in terms of story and one-liners, it might be it's definitely the best one. When he looks over at the homeless guy that he gave his coat to earlier in the movie, and it's it's the, it's one of the first time you see him as Batman, and he has a he has a he has a bad guy, and he's got his claw hooked up, and he looks over and goes, "Nice coat." I mean, I say that I th- I think about that 
once a week. Uh, but let's let's wrap this up. We're almost at an hour here. Um, getting back to the whiskey, of which I've been sipping throughout this podcast, um, just to wet my lips a little bit, you know. Just a great sipping whiskey, a great bourbon, a great budget bourbon, especially for 30 35 bucks. I'm sure you have had American Prairie bourbon or High West bourbon now before. If you have not, I highly suggest picking it up. This is a solid 9.2 from the old Who Gives a Dram scale. This is something that is just awesome, awesome budget bourbon. I always have this on my shelf, although I don't have it right now. Um, High West Distillery is great. And I really want to try their prisoners uh, blend where they age their rice or their bourbon in a prisoner's red wine cask. And you know what I'm saying? If you're watching YouTube, that's all I'm going to say. You got to watch YouTube to figure out what I just did. Um, but we're, we're going to end at 9.2 for... High West America or High West Bourbon, and uh, I'm gonna drink a little bit more of this before we go to, before I go to bed and uh, watch The Mandalorian. So, um, thank you everybody for tuning in this week to Who Gives a Dram. Uh, quick turnaround from the from the last episode, but I wanted to uh, get something out for you guys this week, um, and also I wanted to preview this this amazing UFC card this weekend. So I hope you guys watch that. Um, because that's what I'll be doing Saturday night. Make sure you're following the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Who Gives a Dram. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening to this. If it's on YouTube, make sure you like the video. Leave a comment if you'd like. And if you hit the bell notification, you'll always be reminded as to when I post a video. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, do me a favor if you haven't done this already. Go down, leave a review. Leave a five-star rating if you love the pod. Uh, what that does is it helps other people find the show, and it kind of boosts us in the algorithm a little bit. So if you do that, that would be great. Um, and that's going to do it for me, you guys. Uh, I appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you very much uh, for, for listening and watching to this podcast. We'll be back next week with another whiskey review. We'll recap UFC 287, um, and we'll see what other things happen to me between now and then that we can talk about. So until then, cheers, and always remember, whiskey's the water of life, so let's start living.